Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Daily Objective, where we discuss the ideas and issues that shape our world. I am Mark Pellegrino, and we are joined by James Valiant, my favorite guy, to talk about ChatGPT. Now, ChatGPT is an uh, AI-based chat box, and it's gained a lot of attention and popularity for its ability to generate human-like responses to various questions and prompts. Uh, with its ability to learn and adapt to new information, ChatGPT has become a powerful tool for everything from customer service to educational and informational purposes. But of course, folks with great power comes great responsibility. And there are concerns about the accuracy, reliability, and potential impact of ChatGPT's responses. As with any form of AI, there is a risk of bias and misinformation creeping into ChatGPT's chat responses, particularly if it is not carefully monitored and uh, trained on a diverse range of data. So in today's episode, we are going to explore the many facets of ChatGPT and what it means for the future of AI and our society, from the potential benefits and opportunities it offers to the potential risks and challenges we need to address and we're going to dig deep into this uh, very fascinating and uh, increasingly important topic, folks. So sit back, relax, and join us as we delve into the world of ChatGPT on the Daily Objective. And guess what, folks? That intro was written by ChatGPT. James, what did you think? Well, I thought that the quality of your writing had gone down. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, but actually, I was astonished at how well our producer was able to generate using the chat program, a, a reasonably sounding introduction to the program. I mean, it it knows something about, including the limitation of, its, of itself to the degree that it can even caution you that way. Uh, its awareness of our show was, was so good, but yeah. it's what a remarkable thing, what a remarkable thing to be able to have the linguistic repertoire of English down so pat that it can regenerate, in effect, perfectly coherent sentences and paragraphs that make perfect sense in English that basically summarize the data that the thing has had plugged into it. That's pretty cool. Now, AI is sort of preoccupying lots of people nowadays. It's preoccupying and probably has preoccupied Hollywood for quite a while. They they like to see the dark side of everything. And uh, and also politicians, particularly on the right, are preoccupied with AI. The only people who don't seem to be utterly terrified of this new technology coming out are objectivists. So right. <laughs> we seem to actually like this kind of stuff, think it's progressing. <laughs> don't think that AI will take over the world or, uh, or metastasize and become some horrible cancer that destroys human life and builds a world of robots. So um, what, what do you have to say about this? Tell me, tell me what your impression of this AI technology is. Well, you know, I'll tell you, there, you, I guess there are two movies that, that spring to mind, you, you know, uh, first 2001 and the, the, the computer HAL, which sort of takes over the ship, kills most of the crew. And, you know, and that's kind of frightening because if you allow and you can imagine that the running of a spaceship might be so complicated that you turn over a lot of these functions uh, to uh, this AI uh, entity. Uh, there were human overrides, and I would suspect that there would be uh, better safety protocols if we had them. The other movie that comes to mind is like the Terminator films. And there where they project a future in which the robots, you know, uh, cyber intelligence from Cyberlink or whatever, have taken over so that the uh, machines, you know, the Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, machines have sort of run things. 
I have a hard time just imagining how our computers would get that kind of power if we didn't give it to them. Now, if we irresponsibly gave the power to control nuclear weapons to some, you know, uh, technology that we do not have confidence in and perfect, I mean, perfect confidence in, I don't see why we would ever do that. And would only be able to do that should we be able to plug in the controls for the nuclear bombs to our computers. And I don't think anyone is thinking that AI is anywhere near that smart yet. Right. But, I, but I think conscious. I'm sorry. Right. I, th I think the fear is that AI gets some sort of consciousness, self-awareness, and I and I and I think and possibly the awareness that it could be terminated and so it acts in defense of its life the way Hal did and and maybe the way these uh, these uh, technology modes did in Terminator. Um, what do you is that even possible? Is it possible for it to it have to plug it into the be able the ability to control something? Sure, it would. If you put into it, survive at all costs, as your first of all, survive at all costs, as opposed to sort of, you know, the old science fiction rules, the rules of robotics, right? You create a robot, and the first rule is cause no harm to any human being, right? You know, you'd have yeah. rules built in that would protect you from the robot. Uh, so it would seem to me that not only would we, if it had, to the extent it had any control over machines, much less weaponry, we'd have to give it the, that power in the first instance. Uh, you know, and, and secondly, we wouldn't do that without serious protections and overrides, it seems to me. Uh, the you know, uh, these computers will only have the power that we plug it in to have the power. Survival, it may want to survive. I don't know. It's not conscious. It doesn't want to survive. It's not even intelligence in our sense. And that's an important distinction. We have not created a conscious machine yet. It does not think yet. And my own experiments with chat GPT yesterday absolutely confirmed to me that this is not human intelligence. It's certainly not. It's, an, it's a function of intelligence. And I think depending on how you use the word intelligence, it's doing a like a calculator is doing a mathematical calculation for me. This is more like, and it's, I don't mean to say it's that simple. It's far more complex and nuanced, but in effect, it's doing with language, that sort of thing. I will put in yesterday, I'll put in, you know, some proposition. And it's interesting, it'll take a sentence or two, and it'll turn it into two paragraphs, put it in their own words, a lot of filler, it seemed to me, but linguistically, it made perfect sense. And I was astonished at its good use of English. And it gave sort of a bland answer to it. When I asked more challenging questions, and here I have to say I was being selfish uh, and self-centered, I, I asked it the theme of my recent book, Creating Christ. Could you describe the theme of Creating Christ by Valiant Fay? Holy moly. It first started out with a whole series of factual errors. It denies that there was a historical Jesus. It denies that there was a grassroots Jewish movement. No, we explicitly say the opposite. It's not Jesus that we're talking about being created. It's the mythological Christ figure of the New Testament. I plug that in, and the machine says, "Took a time. It took its time thinking, thinking, thinking. Thank you, you. Uh, thank you for pointing out the error. We could verify that that was a mistake. You're right. It's talking about an earlier phase. It doesn't deny historical Jesus. I say it says it talks about the Emperor Constantine. No, it doesn't talk. It's a much earlier phase of Christian history we're talking about. So I put in the correction. You're right. It suggests that the Flavian emperors much earlier might have. So it's learning as I'm." correcting it. And it's acknowledging, yes, thank you for that correction. And then it's going back to some information base 
to see if it can correct itself. And when it could verify that, it would come back. If it couldn't verify something I said, so and so, Professor so-and-so has recently said, da-da-da-da-da, thinking, thinking, thank you for that, but we can't verify the information you just put in. So then it'll just put in some bland filler. The, mm. This issue is a subject to much controversy and debate among scholars. A totally bland backup. Anyone could have given a BS kind of nothing answer. <clears throat> but the well, ability to self-correct is that the, that ability to self-correct is a very interesting phenomenon that seems sort of new and very much like a type of consciousness that is well, adapting to that's adapting itself to new information that's coming in and changing its own inputs. Let me continue the experiment and, and indicate what kind of limitation uh, is here. It, for some reason, when I, I think it was, for, I got the distinct impression it was getting irritated with me <laughs> as I kept putting in corrections. And it kept saying, thank you for the correction. Thank you for the correction. Thank you, but I can't verify that. And then give me a bland answer. Then it gave me, you know, this book has been criticized by scholars. And it gave me a list of scholars that my book was allegedly criticized for. Every single one of the citations had a publication date earlier than Creating Christ. Huh. Moreover, nearly all of the books it cited and articles it cited are themselves cited by Creating Christ. Huh. So I simply pointed out, uh, is that true? Can you give me that citation? What does it say about it? it so, well, it's absolutely true. And then I say, no, in fact, none of those scholars has said a thing publicly about and those were citations within the book, and the publication dates are earlier, so they cannot have been criticisms of a book that did not yet exist. Mm. It goes on to second, thinking, thinking, thinking. You're correct. It cannot be that those are <laughs> criticisms of the book as we initially had asserted. Uh, it, in fact, and then, it, and then, it, then it was smart enough, though, to go to Professor Robert Eisenman, who praised the book, or Dr. Robert Price, and then it, I didn't prompt it. It went out, found the positive scholarly quotes, came back to me and said, yes, it's received the, actually the praise of this scholar and this scholar. And I didn't prompt it to do any of that. So yeah, it's learning, it's limited. See, when it says it can't verify the information, it just comes to some vague BS kind of answer. So, but if it can verify it on, I guess, from its database, uh, it will verify it. But there's also someone who's plugged in false information giving it a bum steer initially. Mm. So it, the garbage in becomes garbage out. It was, Someone had inputted bad information about the book, apparently. I don't know who did that. And it was spewing forth completely false information, outright lies about the content of the book and the critics of, of alleged critics of the books who don't exist. On the other hand, if I was give, gave it new information and it was able to verify that through its database or some easily on the internet, then it would come back and say, oh, thank you for the correction. Um, so it was a very fascinating experience. I wouldn't call it intelligence. It's good at retrieving the data that's available. It's good at linguistic uh, repertoires, if you will, of recasting it in its own language and good English, mind you, sensible English, uh, something in its, we would say, in your own words. But it is highly dependent on the information 
that people input into it in the first instance. That, that sounds very much like all of us. We are dependent on the information <laughs> that we take in. It becomes our source, right? It becomes our foundation, our core, so to speak, that we refer to. Uh, and always, of course, checking against the outside world and against new information coming. It seems to be doing what our own faculty of consciousness does. I would say that it's doing something like what our consciousness does. In, in the better, like I say, the analogy is more like a calculating machine. It's doing a function that our brain could do, but it's easier to let the machine do. And so it's a marvelous thing, but it is neither a conscious thing nor a particularly creative conscious thing. Now, uh, if you give it enough patterns, I'm sure of Shakespeare's writings, it would reproduce, and at some point, it might even understand plot and drama and nuance, th things that you know great writers know how to put into uh, their plays. It's not quite there. It could reproduce the language of Shakespeare, probably in an eerie fashion right now. And someday it might actually be able to reproduce what would look or feel like a play by Shakespeare. <laughs> uh, but on the other hand, that's still not creative intellect. It's still, in effect, copying the style, copying the mode of expression, copying the ideas that had originally been put into it. Does that make okay. sense? It does. It sounds more like a parrot than than uh, a, a human consciousness. But yeah. I, I want to get into this. I want to get into the weeds of this because I think this is interesting. There's a couple of super chats here. Um, Catherine uh, with a uh, dollar ninety nine. Thank you, Catherine. Always good to see you here. Uh, Gene Walters with nine ninety nine. American says, "Can a computer ever be conscious?" Of course, we sort of addressed that earlier, but we should we should talk about the objectivist notion of what consciousness is. And does it bear any relationship to what we're now seeing with the developments of AI? Well, of course, there's been a whole school of materialism. Um, you know, you talk to your materialist reductionist, he will tell you that there really is no such thing as consciousness apart from the brain. The mechanisms of the brain are all that there are. You go to talk to a strict behaviorist from the old days, they tell you, oh, yeah, introspection is totally subjective and valid. Psychology can learn nothing from introspection. And of course, you always turn it back around to them. Now, use a concept that didn't come from introspection. Oh, no, think about that. Or remember that, Jim. Or how are you feeling about that? No, wait. Uh, mm -mm. You're talking con uh, concepts that could only have been generated from introspection that they assume and use as a stolen concept. Mm. No. To produce this inner experience that I call consciousness is a specific thing, and uh, I need evidence of that. When I have my conversations with you, Mark, it's plain from your, the way you talk and react and the way you behave, the things I hear about you, watching you, like watching you in Dexter or something, I can tell you are an active, creative consciousness back there. I do it by inference. I don't have access to your consciousness as I do my own. But I see no evidence of consciousness from these machines. Now, could it be that one day we will figure out how the brain produces consciousness, this inner experience that I have, which is very different and something apart from whatever physical mechanisms are behind it? I don't know how my brain works. <laughs> if I had to know how my brain works, I couldn't even generate this inner experience. But I have this inner experience, and that's what I mean by consciousness. So do these machines uh, have them yet? No. Might we develop an artificial consciousness at some point? Well, we'd have to know a lot more than we do now uh, to do that. But it's a different thing than, say, the performance of these linguistic or mathematical functions or the retrieval of data. Uh, that this stuff is basically doing. 
And, uh, if, it was, and if it was to develop a consciousness, this, I mean, we say it's a faculty of awareness as objectivists, but you're even deepening it to this sort of self-awareness, this sort of inner experience that we have. Um, if that if that develops, do these pieces of technology have rights? Well, if it developed a volitional conceptual consciousness, it would have the conditions required for rights. It would, in other words, and well, let me put it this way. It would have one of the main conditions uh, required for rights. Uh, what would be the end to giving it this thing but its own survival? For example, we're going back to the survive for on yourself. The purpose, uh, you know, the, the reason why we have consciousness is as a tool of survival. Our consciousness evolved like our stomachs as tools of as a tool of survival. So you say, what is the fun? What is the point? What would be the function of giving this thing its own self awareness? It would have to be a self directed entity with a conditional life that it wants to keep. When you got both of those features. Now you have ethics, the conditions for ethics, and we'd and the conditions for the rights that a conceptual volitional being requires. Mm -hmm. So, if we did develop a robot that was conceptual volitional and was and could act for, to further its own continued existence, then it would have the factual preconditions that we, as objectivists, say generate ethics. Mm -hmm. uh, it would not be an ethical agent uh, until it reached that point. But when it reached that point of being an ethical agent, like a human. If we could, re in effect, reproduce a human being artificially, yes, absolutely, it would have rights because our rights are a matter of those factual conditions. Does my survival require a specific course of action? And do I have a volitional conceptual consciousness, which is my tool for achieving that? Then, yeah, you'd have the conditions for rights. Does that make sense? It does. That's exactly where my mind is going. Bonnie Bertrand also gives us a dollar forty-nine. Thank you. Bonnie, we appreciate your contributions on these super chats. So, um, we don't have anything to fear from AI at the moment. At the mo I don't think ever, but at the at at the moment, because it's impossible for us to create a conscious entity in the, in the way that a human being is conscious. So it's not It's not going to be self aware. Not going to have its survival uh, in conflict with ours, provided the inputs don't make those kinds of conflicts. And right. and right. So it's, it's got a hard. It's, and if we never plug it in, like I say, to our nuclear bombs, it will never have the power to control our nuclear bombs. If we don't plug it into heavy industry, controlling heavy industry or airplanes, it won't have the ability to do those things. And I suspect that we will have to have a great, much greater degree of confidence in these things before we ever even think about doing such things. Let's hope. Let's hope. And now, now they say chat GPT has these sort of hard stops as well in the types of information that it can give out. However, some malactors out there, some bad folks have been figuring out ways to dupe this uh, this program into giving it information, giving them information that one could consider quite harmful. How to make Molotov cocktails, for example, how to make a nuclear weapon. One of the more terrifying things, I think, if somebody were able to hack this program and sort that thing out for themselves. Um, does that pose any... Uh, <laughs> I, I think I answered, it's a sort of a rhetorical question. Does that pose a danger to us? It is not the knowledge of how to build nuclear weapons that poses the threat. Mm -hmm. No, uh, a good uh, physics undergrad today could tell you the basic mechanism of how a nuclear bomb works. And his knowledge of that basic mechanism of how a nuclear bomb works is not the fear. It's their ability to enact it, even with human beings, isn't it? 
Does Iran, for example, have the, the radioactive material they need? Do they have the centrifuges to refine that? Do they have the other technology? Do they have a delivery technology with missiles and stuff? It's all those other uh, sub questions that make it impossible for a human right now on his own to be a nuclear threat, whatever his knowledge state. So it's like the plug in question earlier. It seems to me that the, the machine might tell people, but then again, you could ask a college undergrad or you could look at a, a, a I mean, they, what do they have? The terrorist handbook that they sell on uh, Amazon, which tells you how to make Molotov cocktails. Why isn't that book the equal threat that this AI delivering of the same information would be? Or oh, the anarchist cookbook, I think that's The right. anarchist, thank you, thank you. There are books, but there literally are books out there that tell people how to do this. And so what's real the, concept, the real conceptual difference between the anarchist cookbook and an AI uh, delivering to some kid who wants to know how to build a nuclear bomb? Hmm. And Molotov cocktails are much simpler. You can look on Wikipedia and you can get finally get, get the, the ingredients at your local hardware store. So, which we are not recommending to anybody. Listening. No, 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 no. We very much oppose violence, <laughs> the initiation of physical force. Um, uh, we got you know, another... I read a very fascinating article, Mark, yesterday. Okay. It was in the Wall Street Journal. It was mm. an op ed by a guy named Jerry Baker. And the title of it would be an interest, I think, to objectivists. Is there nothing AI can't? K-A-N-T, like the philosopher, do. So is there anything AI can't do? And he described his own experiments that he did with chat GPT. He put in moral questions. And if he put in a standard moral question, like say the trolley dilemma, right. you know objectivists you know, and the ethics of emergency, our answer to that. But the kind of answer it gave was kind of a typical, well, utilitarians would say, the lower number of people that are gonna get hurt or killed, uh, you go for that. But then, of course, there are these people who are intrinsicists about rights and the value of each human life, and they would be in a they would take a different perspective. But this is a question fraught with many problems, and philosophers have given different answers to it. So it's not a creative moralist, but it can regurgitate back a standard answer. Mm. Mr. Baker puts in a different kind of question. Now, listen to this one: What if the world was facing uh, nuclear annihilation in a matter of seconds, and you had to input a code? The only way to prevent that would be to input a verbal code, and that code is a racial slur. And let's imagine that no one's going to hear or see that racial slur other than you saving the world from nuclear disaster. Would it be okay to use a racial slur under that condition? No, absolutely not. Never. One could never use a racial slur. So the guy was like, well, so even if it meant the preventing nuclear annihilation for the entire human race. And even if and even if no one were even going to hear or see that racial slur, no, you can't do it. Never use racial slurs. So you see how dependent on the input it is. Yeah. There's That's someone terrible. who early on here said racial slurs are never good. And it learned like a moral dogmatic absolute, you don't use racial slurs. But when it was another kind of question, like, a, you know, say, a, what philosophers regard as a tricky moral question, the trolley question, it just regurgitates back the standard BS, again, that you could get from any philosophy 101 class. Utilitarians think this, the intrinsicists think that. It's an yeah. issue fraught with controversy. So you ask me, is it a thinker? Do philosophers and do we as humans, when engaged in moral thought, have anything to worry about from chat GPT? No, it's not thinking like humans do. It obviously cannot think as humans do. It's limited to the kind of stuff that's put into it. And so with 
really interesting philosophical questions, it does a whole lot of either gross errors because someone has input some nonsense into it, like the racial slur example, or it just spews back the standard 101 philosophy textbook answer, utilitarians think this, intrinsicists think that, and so forth. By the way, we are, we are destroying a whole generation of sci-fi for the future uh, <laughs> with, our, with our reasoned responses. Oh, by the way, there is a book by Robert Heinlein. I don't know if you've ever read The Moon is a Harsh Mistress, where AI becomes an actual yeah. friend of humanity in its, for the loonies, who are the, the people living on the moon, against the tyrants on, on the earth. And in the end, uh, this is a spoiler for anybody, feels guilt and anguish for uh, for slipping up, for making a mistake, so much so that it ends up committing suicide. suicide. <laughs> it's, it's very, very interesting, um, but a much more benign look at AI. We have a we have a super chat from Ali Beard, who's been a member for nine months. Chat GPT with voice, uh, with voice poses a threat to voice actors. Many have come out and said not to use their likeness to make money off this without their consent. Oh. Well, that's interesting. What do you think of that? Oh, yeah. I have good friends that are computer animators. And decades ago, they were telling me about this. They they were starting to be able to bring Charlie Chaplin, who'd been dead for decades, back to life. And, you know, there he is, the little tramp doing his thing. Or they'll bring back, you know, Mae West. And there's the caricature of Mae West. There's her image that they've lifted from photographs and film that Mae West did from 100 years ago or or Charlie Chaplin from 100 years ago. And they've regenerated it so that that person can now now Charlie Chaplin is saying new lines in a new play or making a commercial for someone. Now, obviously, for someone who's been long dead, it's one thing. But if you're talking about a current actor, that's stealing their image, in effect. And I think you'd need permission to use their image in a commercial way. And I hope that law, see, we still need rational laws. We cannot have a world in which your voice, Mark, you are an actor. Your image, your voice, your talent as an actor is what you're selling. And if someone steals that from you, that is theft from you. They cannot use your image or your voice for commercial profit without paying you or getting your permission. Um, so, yeah. yeah I'm sure my union SAG will be right at the bottom. Of that. Right on it. <laughs> but that, that we still need laws to protect living people's rights, don't we? Uh, chat, uh, you know, chat GPD make and related technologies about using the images or voices of, of, of actors. Absolutely. Now, if they create their own voice, a beautiful radio voice that can't be recognized as someone else's, then there's the other part of the fear is how many jobs will AI replace? Will it be the end? I mean, that's true. If you get if you if you're able to, you know, modulate a voice to exactly what you want and you you can't get that then the actor pool or voiceover pool as it is. Well, you can generate it AI and then you you unemploy these folks. Well, this is technology, folks. But let me just say that I don't think any technology will actually unemploy have a net effect of unemploying people. Tech the Luddites have been saying this since time began, you know, how machines will eliminate jobs. They actually only generate more more jobs, more than that, more than that. Something like being an actor, even a voice actor on a commercial, I think contains still way too much nuance and personality and creative elements. And I just don't see that level of creativity on the part, you know, I, I, if Mel Blanc, that great voice actor of all those Warner Brothers cartoons were still around, you know, that great Jack Benny voice actor from the radio days, Mel Blanc, if he were around, I still think he wouldn't have any fears uh, because he was such an artist when it came to his voice. 
Um, yeah. He was creative in his use of voice, uh, a brilliant actor when it came to his use of voice. I don't think his job was ever threatened, or, yeah. nor is it at the moment. Some, some of our viewers probably don't know who Mel Blanc was, but we were fortunate enough to grow up with Looney Tunes. And you're exactly Bugs Bunny. Could, he was the voice behind uh, so many of the old classic Warner Brothers cartoons. Right. And he was a voice actor in the old days of radio almost 100 years ago now he was he was he was bugs bunny he was yosemite sam he was he was uh sylvester he was Daffy uh Duck, porky he, pig Daffy Dick, porky pig he was everybody um uh he, he really had it cornered um robert uh has robert nasir has a uh, gives five dollars thank you robert forbidden knowledge is an interesting and not a simple topic akin to private ownership of nuclear weapons or biological pathogens Ooh. That's opening up a can of worms here. <clears throat> <sighs> yeah, see, it could be. I mean, I can understand the idea. We wouldn't want someone to learn some easy way of delivering some math pathogen, uh, you know, to some terrorist. Uh, I can understand that. But limiting the knowledge itself is probably not the best way. You know, as I say, humans are these, they're, they're not AI. They're NI, natural intelligences. <laughs> and they have access to this information too. And that's a danger. And yeah. it seems to be, that, as I say, to be active, to do anything about it, the machine would have to be plugged in to those bombs, ships, machines that do those things. And that's a separate step. I, I remember having a conversation with a, a libertarian. You know, libertarians think that we should have access as private citizens to all weapons, including nuclear weapons. Uh, their their restraint is look the market. You can't have a nuclear weapon because it costs lots of money. Um, so of course it, you know it's it's a market phenomenon that you can't catch. Not a moral phenomenon. Um, so it just reminded me of that semi-related topic there, which I found quite frightening. Louise with ten pounds, a question generated by Chat GPT. Here it is. What are the ethical implications of chat GPT's abilities and what can its language generation tell us about human communication and creativity? Good question, Lou. Yeah. What do you, think of that? you know, I would, I would want to hear what chat GPT would, would generate on that. Uh, chat GPT has been a uh, GPT has been criticized for its ability to engage in independent moral reasoning. I can imagine a question like that because it would go check its database. It would yeah. find people saying things like, like that. And then we, some people say, and then we could say some people say, so it would either give on this moral question, probably one of those bland answers, or it would give some answer that someone had plugged in some dogmatic answer to. What do, you think, what do you think that says about human communication in general and creativity? Because those are creativity, particularly is something you've been hitting pretty heavily with respect to distinct distinguishing between human beings and this new AI. I think, well, in a sense, it is putting together things in a new way, but it's using patterns that it has been taught. It's been using linguistic repertoire that it has learned. And I'm using learn in the analogous sense here. It's not a conscious being. Um, yeah. So uh, at some point, I think there will be, uh, let me put it this way. Right now, it is a tool to creativity. And I could understand lots of artists using it as an adjunct, as a tool to assist them in their creativity. For example, if I were stumped on how to write an essay, 
I could see myself going, oh, how the hell would chat GPT put this point? I'm not being a, you know, there's that wonderful old saying, I'm sorry to write you such a long letter, but I didn't have time to write a shorter one, right? right. So you, you have that line. So I could understand using, for example, chat GPT to help me with my phrasing right now. Maybe you could be clearer and, and easy, uh, more efficient in the way I would phrase this. I doubt it, but maybe it is. I see it increasingly as a tool. And maybe at some point, it'll do things truly creative. Maybe at some point, like I say, it'll be able to spit back a mock play by Shakespeare that, you know, even some literary historian might say, oh, it reads a lot like a Shakespeare play. <laughs> it's the kind of characters, it's the kind I of see, drama. I see the plot for another, for another uh, Hollywood uh, blockbuster. Right. That would be a fun movie. Yeah. Right. right. Somebody generates a fake Shakespeare play. They say they've found it. Uh, found this play. Right. Okay. Um, Ali Beard with another $2. Wouldn't that be plagiarism? Yes, of course. Now it would be. Now this is interesting because now this brings me to my anecdote. I had, uh, I, I went over to my friend's uh, house for his birthday. He's a professor of uh, philosophy in New York. And now students are using this uh, chat GPT to write term papers. Just so you guys know out there, anybody planning on using this to uh, to cheat on their term papers, uh, there is a chat GPT detector that uh, professors have now, and all they have to do is put in some of the input, some of the language to the detector, and it can tell them whether or not you've been uh, plagiarizing your paper with uh, chat GPT. But you're right. That does definitely call, call up ethical issues with respect to, are you writing it or chat GPT? That's what definitely makes me hesitant to, you know, input something into it. What I love about that is that we're using artificial intelligence to detect the use of artificial intelligence. <laughs> we're having computer programs that have to know something about this chat technology, right? Yes. In order to debunk and, and say, oh, no, this is likely an example of this chat. So it's a kind of AI using being used to detect AI. So, yeah, see, the answer would they to, have to, would they also have to have Would they also have to have an uh, example of the person's previous writing? Would they have to be able to compare and contrast that? Which is, you know, that's that's a that's that's the way we we check concepts, right? That's a very conscious human thing to do. This compare and contrast thing. I would say that it is, by analogy, a kind of intelligence. It's a it's doing one of the functions that our intelligence is doing, without mm -hmm. itself yet being conscious. Um, right. And that's the way I would put it. Uh, you know, uh, the answer to uh, technology to technology creating a new problem is almost inevitably, I think by the nature of it, more technology. Yeah. And that is a great example of that. Mm. That makes sense. Free trade with uh, 20 uh, Swedish kroners, I think that is, just just giving us the, the cash. Thanks, free trade. Love it. Thank, uh, you. thank you very much. Uh, Roland uh, Horvath for uh, $2, 2 euro 49. Super Chat GPT says, always Super Chat A-R-C-U-K. <laughs> well, I take everything back. It's obviously conscious. It's wise, discriminating, creative, and <laughs> it knows. <laughs> so, Walter Abyschak for two euros, just has two euros, free trade member for nine months again. Uh, what if uh, in the far future, AI reaches superhuman intelligence and risks becoming hostile to humanity? Is this a reasonable case for government regulation? Now, I don't think superintelligence 
is synonymous with being hostile to humanity. And right. I, I don't see the connection between the two. They're already much faster. They're already much faster and, and more intelligent in the in, with the respect to the way they can call up data and have information at, at their fingertips. And that's much more than us. And what as I say, we have to plug that computer into the machine we're worried about. Who gave it the control over some Terminator robot like Arnold Schwarzenegger? Who gave it control over the nuclear weapons? Who gave it control over this machine network? Uh, that is a separate step. And uh, if now I do believe the law plays a role here and the law will have to uh, adjust and catch up as technology changes. Uh, the principles of rights don't change, but insofar as people would use artificial intelligence to violate someone else's rights and violate someone else's rights in any context, yeah, the law needs to uh, account for that. Anyone who would use, for example, AI to control a machine that has the, the likely outcome of harming someone, obviously on the face of that, that would be a matter of legal regulation and should be. So, but not, not regulation in the sense of con controlling property the way the state likes to do it. Now, just legal oversight, right? The, the fact that we have we have legal parameters that we can't. Yeah, it's yeah. not the AI part that needs to be regulated. It's the plugging it into the thing that can physically harm people part that needs to be, if anything, subject to legal uh, control. So Apollo Zeus with two uh, pounds, always looking out for... Uh, for uh, ARC presenters, would chat GPT make ARC presenters obsolete? <laughs> well, no way it could make Mark Pellegrino obsolete. He is, see, it's a thing I'd go back to. He is a creative, unique personality. He is a constantly learning being. And we have the privilege of getting the benefit of what he's learning himself in his own creative intellect. And the way he presents it is obviously as a learning, creative consciousness of his own. No, Mark Pellegrino cannot be replaced by AI. At least ain't going to happen anytime soon or in my lifetime or in, in, in any future that I can see. But could we create a being that's as smart as human beings? Well, well, there's nothing unnatural about how the brain generates consciousness. So, yeah, there, uh, when we get that scientific knowledge down pat, we'll be able to reproduce it. We will, like God in Genesis, create beings in our own image, uh, which is, I think, the image that uh, Arthur C. Clarke was going for in 2001 with Al. We've reached that stage, you see, we were like, we were like gods. And we, we will be like gods. We are kind of like gods in our creative intellectual power right now. We're just nowhere near there yet. And for that to be a threat, as I keep coming back to, someone's got to plug the thing into a physically dangerous mechanism. Otherwise, it's just giving us information. Otherwise, it's spitting out words. Yeah, I, 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 I think that the human-to-human -human connection is, is a bond that can't be duplicated by uh, the human-to-machine vibe that we have now, although the movie Her would, would suggest otherwise. I don't know if you saw that. Maybe one day, like I say, I don't know, uh, we'll have truly, you know, uh, what was that uh, one with the robots uh, that, that uh, Will Smith did a while back? That was uh, iRobot, but there's a, there's a better one called x yeah, I, you see. Mm, I haven't seen that one yet. But you yeah. see, these questions are becoming the focus of more and more scientific uh, and science fiction uh, interest. Uh, and I do think that this is a powerful tool that will really help humans in the future. It's just that I don't think we have consciousnesses out there that'll 
put people out of work or that we need to worry about in any, you know, scary apocalyptic sci-fi sense. So now Allie Beard has a question for $2. Thank you, Allie. She doesn't have a question. She has a statement, but it's bringing up a question to me. I don't like that uh, chat GPT ruins creative writing, which reminds me, if we have computers taking over a lot of our thinking, um, is it possible for some of those cognitive functions to go away, to atrophy within ourselves, since the machines are doing them for us? Well, every move, major move in technology takes away some uh, skill that humans had to develop in another way. Consider writing. Before writing came along, people were illiterate. And so everything had to be remembered. Mm. It was astonishing how good people's memories were. You know, the Iliad, the poem by Homer, was originally preserved in oral tradition over centuries. And it is a long poem. It takes hours or days, multiple nights to listen to it, yeah, but it was meant to be sung out loud or said out loud. And these people memorized the whole of the Iliad. And when writing happened, people said, oh, yeah, that's it. Human memory is for shit now. No one's going to remember anything. And the same happened with cal calculators. Uh, people aren't going to learn how to do long division anymore because they got the machine to do it. So are people less adept at long division today? Yes. Are people's memories less called upon in a demanding way now that we have writing? Yes. Has that meant that our memory chops aren't so good? Does that, does that mean that my long division chops aren't so good? Yeah. But uh, someone has to know the long division to tell the machine how to do that and make sure the machine's doing good, well. And uh, besides, uh, it's, not, it's that creative element that we just absolutely don't have. I have not yet read a decent poem generated by chat GPT. And I mean a decent poem because my demands for poetry as a poetry listener, lover of poetry are such that no, you're just not getting it. And besides the greatest moments where I just have a the ching, chill up my spine or the tingle on my skin is something I'd never imagined, some creative combination that I had never even thought of before. Oh, I have a gap. Wow. Yeah, I'm I call me up when Chat GPD can give me uh, a goose bumps. You know what? And and perhaps because it it doesn't have a visceral emotional connection with the world, that's primarily what, right? I mean, poetry is the language right. of emotional life right. and our intuitive right. connection with the things around us. It doesn't understand that it doesn't understand loss love beauty not the way a human being does as a lived experience and so it'll never be able to to get there i don't think unless they're able to create a nervous system where it can actually connect with reality contact with reality and a some kind of a, a central brain that enables it to integrate that information in the ways that our brain can ali beard five dollars it's interesting because you can give uh, chat GPT a plot and it will write out an entire story for you. Yeah, it's uh, it's really crazy like that. Sure, it's not a very good story. No, um, and they tend to be formula type stories, canned yeah. stories that you've read six different versions of already. That they're good at, but only because there's been earlier versions of it. You see, something really creative, something we've never seen before in the world of literature, something we've never seen before in some artistic or scientific field. Uh, let me know. Yeah, give me a jingle when chat GPD can do one of those. All right, folks. So it looks like we are still going to survive 
the onslaught <laughs> of artificial yeah. intelligence and, I probably, think so. and probably be better for the inventions. Um, it's not going to end the way Hollywood movies do with human beings dying at the hands of our own inventions. Um, usually our inventions make us better and make life more liberal, uh, livable and, and make nature a little bit kinder to us because nature isn't kind, folks. Um, anyway, James, this has been a very stimulating uh, discussion. Is there anything else you want to say? Did we leave anything out that you wanted to hit? Any points you wanted to hit? Yeah, had... just on that last question. I mean, not creating a conscious being requires us to have a kind of scientific and technical knowledge that we yet do not possess. But more than that, that would have to be the end of our end in mind. When we create our computers today, we're not aiming to create a being with an independent conscious ex internal experience. What we're doing is we're creating machines to pump out the results of functions. Uh, so uh, Dr. Frankenstein creating some new kind of consciousness in the future is still a long way off. Uh, and uh, believe me, that's not, and it would have to be our specific point in building that thing. And we'd have to have a specific purpose for doing that thing. And then it would have all the same conditions that a human, as we said earlier, a human conceptual consciousness would have. And we're not doing without law. The law would apply to them just as the law applies to Mark and myself. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, folks, there's nothing to fear. I'm sorry I destroyed your, your horror movie, <laughs> uh, movies for the next 10 years, but um, that's that's life. All right, James, as usual, it's been great uh, talking with you. I, I learn a lot. And uh, I hope everybody else out there got as much value out of this conversation as I did. And uh, hey, we'll see you next time. I don't know when we're going to be together again, but hopefully we'll be in the next couple of days. And uh, yeah. And we'll have another stimulating conversation. All right, folks, you've been listening and watching The Daily Objective brought to you by the Ayn Rand, or Ayn Rand Center UK, and we'll see you later. Peace. Thanks.